It uh, is so cool how humans can take a little bit of wood, a little bit of string, and begin to make music. And uh, Destiny is a musician and loves to see what she can play next. And I appreciate that, Destiny, about you. Good morning. Happy Sabbath, dear family. Um, just one quick announcement we didn't make, and that is tomorrow at 3 o'clock, we're having our uh, soup uh, Sunday where we're making soup for our food trailer. I'll tell you something, this week was just fantastic. Thursday night um, had a really incredible two experiences actually out on the food trailer. Um, one was with um, a gentleman by the name of Fred who we uh, serve, we've been serving to for about nine months. And this was the first time he seemed rather um, clear-minded and he was wanted to talk to me. I came out and visited with him out of the trailer because I was working in the trailer this this Thursday night, and he shared with me that he's ready to go to um, treatment. He wants to get his life back in order, and it just was so encouraging to have prayer with Fred. And then this week, I don't know if any of you have heard the news, but um, a gentleman this week on Monday night um, OD'd and died. His name was Mark. Um, he's a friend of Trey, who many of you know Trey. And so, um, Wednesday night, after we, our prayer meeting at home, Trey asked if I would go out to the candlelight vigil that was for Mark. Now, of course, I don't know any of Mark's friends other than Trey, and, but I said, yeah, Trey, let's go on out there. And so it was out at the uh, spit. We went out there and had a candle and a group of people standing around. And <clears throat> I kind of wondered to myself, other than my support to Trey, you know, why I'm there, right? Because I don't know any of these people, and I didn't really care to introduce myself because, you know, it's not my uh, person of, in, within my congregation. But the very next night on Thursday night, someone says, Pastor Jay, you've got to come out here. So I came out of the trailer again, and I was introduced to a, young, a lady by the name of Jennifer. Jennifer is the sister of Mark. And I was able to tell Jennifer, I was there last night at your brother's vigil. And you could just see her like, really? You were there? I didn't see you. And I said, yeah, I was standing out there with the candle. And, and um, she connected. We had prayer together. And one of the things she said to me, she goes, Pastor Jay, can I come and help with the food trailer? I want to be a part of this ministry. And I said, Jennifer, absolutely you can. And to explain to her, you know, to get on our website. Um, but two people Thursday night asked that very same question, can we participate? And then one guy comes in and he goes, um, do you guys accept donations? And I said, oh, hey, we live on a donations. <laughs> and so he handed me some money and he put, I put it there in the, the trailer. So yeah, it's just such an incredible contact point as we connect with the community and, and love people out there. Um, so anyway, please keep uh, Jennifer in your prayers and their family as they're going through that grieving process this week. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to know you more, mostly of your love for us and of the desire you have to commune with us on a daily basis as a friend would commune with a friend. And so, Jesus, send your Holy Spirit just right now to tap into our hearts, to connect with us so that we, we can hear your prodding and, and we want you to be recognized. And, and we recognize also, Jesus, that you are the audience. 
We are here to worship you. We are here to connect with you. And so teach us, grow in us, and may we surrender fully to you, Jesus, we pray in your precious name. Amen. So I'm doing a series here for the next few weeks um, entitled, This I Believe. And you've got to start at the beginning when you do a series, and this is a beginning sermon on the issue of creatorship. Now, as most of you know, I uh, developed with the team down there at Forks uh, a park called Creation Park. And so over this last year and a half, I've been doing a lot of reading on creation, a lot, a lot of videos on creation, a tremendous amount of people these days in the scientific world are becoming creationists, not because of the church, but because of science. And they're recognizing that science itself is pointing irrevocably to an intelligent designer. And it's just incredible to see what is out there in the world of creation. You know, when we, um, when we look at the various things in um, our world, we recognize design. Now, this is the Boeing 787 Dreamliner. How many of you have flown on the Dreamliner yet? Any, anyone? Only me? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, the Dreamliner is a beautiful plane. It's interesting because one of the unique features of the Dreamliner is it doesn't have one of these shades you can pull up and down. Okay? They control the window. And, and they can make it go dark or they can make it go light. And it's a bigger window than most of the other planes that are out there in the um, large body airplanes. But the Boeing 787 has approximately 2.3 million parts. 2.3 million parts to make it fly with miles of wiring that it has as they're building this incredible airplane. Now, the airplane is interestingly made in various different countries. Some is made in Japan, some is made in Italy, some is made in France, and some is made in America, and of course they bring it here into the Puget Sound area for the assembly of the 787. One of the unique features of this airplane versus the other Boeing airplanes is its carbon fiber uh, laminate, you know, it's, it's, it's composite. It's not an aluminum uh, shell like the other airplanes. This is all carbon fiber. So it's really an incredible um, feat of engineering, the, the Dreamliner. I'm going to stay there for a second. But, you know, you think of each wire that is run, small and large. You think of each generator. In fact, in the, in the, the Boeing 787, like most jets have one generator per engine, they have two generators per engine just in that particular airplane. Each component, each circuit, each fabrication coming together for the purpose of allowing you and I to fly at 37,000 feet to 40,000 feet above the ocean in really relative quietness where the temperature outside is 70 degrees below zero, and you're in complete, complete uh, relaxation mode. In fact, this last August, when I went over to the Philippines, um, I got on the plane at 2 o'clock in the morning. I was exhausted. 
I was so tired that I don't even remember the airplane taking off. It's an 11 and a half flight, hour flight over there. I woke up two hours before the flight. I was like, oh, I love that when it happens. They wake you up for breakfast and then you, you land. But it's just incredible when you think of these incredible pieces of machinery that there is no doubt the history of that airplane had somebody and a team of people working, designing, developing, and producing. And when we look at the intricacies of nature, of living things, there is no doubt there is a designer, a developer, a producer. There's no doubt and the, the more intricately you dig into living things, the more you see incredible design. Now, what's interesting about mankind is that every one of us jump into the flow of history. Think about it. History has been going on for some time, and every one of us get a jump into history. We learn about something of our world that we live in. Then we start learning a little history of what happened before we were alive, and even maybe what could happen in our future. But we all have this moment when we jump into history, and then we leave history. And so we have to recognize, okay, where do I fit in in history? Well, the Bible starts out a very clear tone, a very clear understanding of how we fit into history. And it begins by, in the beginning. It tells us kind of how we started, in the beginning. I love the opening words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It declares it. It's not an argument. It's not trying to prove any facts. It's just declaring that God created it all. And from Genesis to Revelation, the facts of God being the creator and at the centerpiece of all authority and his supremacy is declared. Now, this slide actually was supposed to be before that slide, but, you know, you look at the uh, Eiffel Tower, you look at the Golden Gate Bridge, you know these are things that are created by thinking intelligent beings. And God is creator. So <clears throat> one of the things that sets God apart from any other gods is that he is the creator God. And so the Bible is so clear on this, it says it over and over and over. And I'm going to make it kind of like a rapid fire here in just a little bit here. We're going to look at these texts real quickly. Listen to Nehemiah. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Going a little further in the book of Job, says he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing, which is really cool because for in Greek mythology, it was always, you know, how Atlas was holding up the earth, you know. The Bible knew thousands of years before the Greeks were even around that the earth is suspended over nothing in space. And what's really fascinating, and I'm sure some of you have seen this on, on, um, online, is that the sun and the earth, of course, the earth is going around the sun, but, and then our little moon is going around, and all these things are going on, but they're all, we're all flying through space. 
It's not like the sun is just sitting there idle. It is going through space. We're going through space. And everything is perfectly, perfectly timed. So much so that if someone wanted to sit down right now, they could figure out in 100 years from now when it's going to be high tide in Port Angeles. It's that clear of timing. Going on in the book of Psalms, and of course Psalms, I, I only picked one, but there's hundreds of Psalms like this. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Going into the major prophets, Isaiah, this is what the Lord, God the Lord says, the creator of heaven and earth. So when it says God the Lord, he's now giving you his authority, his stamp of who he is. He is the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all the springs from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. The breath you're breathing, the heart that's beating, the cells that are moving in your body are because of God, the creator. Isaiah also says a few chapters over, this is what the Lord says, your redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, and here's my authority. I'm the maker of all things who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. You're starting to get kind of the understanding of what God is wanting to, uh, us to understand. What is his mark of authority over us, family? It is his creatorship. He is the one who designed us. He is the one who made us. Going on to another major prophet, Jeremiah, further in the Bible, it says, Oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Listen, when you feel like the days are tough, when you feel like there's no answer to the questions you're facing, remember that your God is big enough, strong enough, wise enough to handle anything you are confronting. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. The one who created it all knows you and I personally. And this verse that was read in the scriptures here this morning from Hebrews, um, uh, uh, yeah, Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out, out of what was visible. Now, we know, and we're going to get into this a little more this morning, but we know that the first parents were the creation of Adam and Eve. Now, you understand, of course, that Adam and Eve were not there when God created one, two, three, four, five. They, they weren't there. So for them, they had to believe by faith that God created it all, just like us. They had to believe it. In fact, it's interesting because the Bible tells us that actually God put Adam asleep when he made Eve. There's a piece I was going to share in the book of Acts, and I'll, I'll show this one to you real quick. It's where um, the uh, Apostle Paul is being adorned as a god because he performed a miracle. And he's trying to stop the men uh, from uh, worshiping him. And so he says to them, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Now listen to what he says. Who's the living God? What's his mark of authority? What's his stamp of, a, of signature of who he is? 
God, who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. When we talk about God as creator, this is not a little item in theology. This is the singular most important thing to build your foundation of your relationship with God on. Otherwise, which God are you worshiping? I am worshiping the God of creation who made it all. That's so important. And the scriptures over and over and over redundantly state this fact. In fact, in Revelation 14, there's a statement here that's beautiful. Then I saw another angel flying in the midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Well, that sounds like everybody. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him, and then as normal, his signature. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So, I hope you can see, from Genesis to Revelation, a little snapshot, God is the creator. If you have anyone ask you, who do you worship? You worship the creator. Now we're going to get even personal, more personal, because we're going to move into the New Testament, and we're going to see this God now come in the flesh. And John chapter 1 starts just like Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What was He? He was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then the verse 3 says, through Him all things were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The Word. The Word is Jesus. Jesus, through Jesus, all of creation came to be. The Bible makes it clear the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And one of the things I love about this John chapter 1, notice it says there in verse 4, the last part of verse 4, it says, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, isn't that interesting, that, 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 that connection? Because in Genesis chapter 1, do you know what the first day was? Light. Light was created. Day, light. And so here you have John chapter 1 wanting you to have that mental connection. Light. He came in and light, the light of all mankind. You see, when John wants to introduce Jesus to us, he starts out just like the Old Testament, in the beginning. And then he elevates the word. The word was with God. Oh, yes, absolutely communed with God. The word was God. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together in unity, tri-unity, together, creator of heaven and earth. So what is, according to John and according to Scripture, is the stamp of God's authority, dear family? It is His creatorship. He is creator. 
So this man, Jesus, who comes and walks with us on planet Earth and talks with us, who has come into this world, is the very one who created it all. Isn't that amazing? Now listen, dear family. This God designed and creates is infinitely more complex and marvelous than, than most of us have even begun to realize. And I want to spend just a thoughtful moment here just thinking about our precious Lord and what he has done. I took this picture this summer. Little bee, little bumblebee. A bee's brain only contain about a million neurons, which is different than ours because ours contain about a hundred billion neurons. Yet God made them capable of complex reasoning and storing memories, they can fly miles away from the hive and know exactly where that patch of flowers are, fly miles back to the hive and do their little squiggle wiggle and all the other bees know exactly where those, where those flowers are. That's incredible. They have inside of them a compass that's connected to the magnetic north somehow so they exactly know which way to fly. In the book, The Mind of a Bee, the latest research indicates that even these tiny brain bees are profoundly intellectual creatures that can memorize not only flowers, but even human faces. They can solve problems by thinking rather than through trial and error, and they even can learn to use tools by observing skilled bees. And then, of course, as they wiggle and jiggle in the hive, they can communicate to a whole bunch of other bees. And then this onboard compass draws them directly to the path to be able to find the nectar that they need for their survival. In fact, it's been said that the maneuverability of a bee has been studied for many years when it comes to flight for mankind. And then, of course, my wife's favorite bird, the hummingbird every time our little hummingbird comes next to the window oh my it's big news look look now this little creature is incredible it's two and a half inches long and yet did you realize that it migrates further than most any of the migrating birds out there in fact one species actually of the hummingbird actually tops the list of over 3,000 miles. It can fly in one day, it can fly up to 500 miles in just one day. There are over 350 known hummingbird species, which obviously speaks to the incredible variety of God's creation. And what we don't realize is that the little beak of theirs is like a little chopstick. And they can they fly so fast that they can uh, eat uh, flies in the air. Just They can go around and fly. They can fly forwards, they can fly backwards, and they can fly upside down. Incredible. What they do with their wings is only hummingbirds that can do. Now their wings, they flutter at, um, what is it, uh, 50 times per second. So in one second, 50 times they flutter back and forth. And their little heart beats 1,200 times per minute. What a marvelous creator our God is. 
I've been doing some studying on the, the DNA, which I have chosen not to get too deep into because uh, both the words, and you know, I could use words, but even though you and I don't always understand what those words mean, but here's what I would say in a very layman's term. The DNA structure inside every one of cells, inside every one of us, is of such complexity that the, the information stored in that DNA, if we were to put it onto a page and write it out, the instructions of that little teeny DNA that's inside that cell, it would take miles of books to record it. And it's all scrunched down inside of every little cell of our body. And that DNA is information. Information requires intelligence. And that DNA, they're looking at the cell now as such an incredible, complex factory, if not even a city. Some of you have heard the concept of irreducible complexity. And it really describes a system that needs every single piece in order to function. If you take one little piece out, like for instance, let's just take a wing off of a Boeing 787 and see how she does. Right? Or let's, let's just take one wheel, the wheel cage off of it and just see how she lands. You need everything. And so in irreducible complexity, they oftentimes use the, the rat trap as a good example of that. Now the rat trap has all these parts and without one of them, it no longer works. You got to have a base, otherwise nothing is there to hook on to. You got to have a spring, otherwise the hammer won't work. You got to have a trigger that you put the cheese on, right? You got to have U nails to hook down to the base. You got to have a, a hold down bar that holds back the hammer until that very moment when the little mouse or rat will come and grab that cheese, triggering the trigger releasing the hold down bar and down comes the hammer take one component away just one and it's worthless piece as a rat trap the point being of course is that in our system to be alive dear family there are millions and millions and millions of things that have to be just perfect in order for us to be alive and God has made it all so for our life. So, this, I've been working on this for some time. I've been, in fact, there's going to be some of you in the room that have heard this because I've been so excited about it for the last three months when I, when I found this out. But i got to share this with you. And now I finally can share it. And I'm so excited about this. Because everything I'm going to tell you, you've probably heard before, you, but you probably have never connected the dots. Okay, you probably have never connected the dots. And this is so cool. So, this is just shows at how extensive God has provided in each piece in order for our survival and life on this planet. So, let's get going. First of all, let's talk about the big hot ball called the sun. This nuclear ball is 93 million miles away. Not too far and not too close. It's just right, okay? But there's another, oh, by the way, the surface of the the, the, the sun, they, they estimate, is about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, that's the surface of the sun. Inside of it, much, much hotter. But the surface is about 10,000. Did you realize that there's a ball even hotter than that closer to you? Oh, yes, my dear friends. There's another hot ball out there, 
and it's about 11,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's in the center of the earth. Isn't that incredible? So you got these two hot balls we live between. The guy out there in the, that's 93 million miles away and the little ball that's about 600 miles in, in size, in diameter, in the center of the earth. Now, there are different levels. You can see here the inner core, the outer core, the lower mantle, upper mantle. Now, what separates us, and this is something I found fascinating, not necessarily goes with everything I'm going to say, but I thought it was fascinating. What separates us from, from the inner core and, and um, where we live, the surface of the earth, is miles of granite. Granite. In fact, granite is what we understand, at least scientists understand today, is probably the most um, abundant material on planet Earth. Granite. There's miles of it between us and that hot core. Good, good news, right? Because that's super hot. Now, when the crack happens in the granite, guess what we see? We see volcanoes, right? The volcanoes are spitting up the hot lava of the inner core. Now... Here's what gets fascinating. This inner core is made of lead, okay? Thank you, Lord. It's made of lead, and it sends out a magnetic field around the earth. Now, most of you know this because we always talk about the North Pole and the South Pole. We know that there's this magnetic north. So where does that magnetic come from? It's from the inner core of the earth. And we think, well, that's kind of cool, but how does this all fit together? Well, let me tell you, dear family, that the big hot ball out there in space would kill every one of us in about one day without the big hot ball in the center of the earth sending out a magnetic shield around us so that when the sun's radiation comes at us at the speed of light, it hits our magnetic field and bounces off onto the North and South Pole, thus creating what we call the Northern Lights. Thank you, Lord. Isn't that incredible? God, in all of his beautiful design, designed a big hot ball out there to keep us life working, but then, of course, it would burn us up. And so he put the hot ball in the center as a magnetic shield so that that doesn't burn us up, but it just keeps us nice and toasty warm on planet Earth. And by the way, just as a side note, you know, in modern science, we, we get pretty happy about the concept of solar panels, right? Because solar panels are taking energy from the sun and converting it to power. And all along, God said, I've been doing that for a long time. It's called the leaf. We studied about it. It was called photosynthesis. Those, every leaf in creation is a solar panel. Think of that. It's a solar panel drawing energy from the sun and creating it into energy for the life of that flower or plant. Beautiful displays. I'm com I come from Alaska. I've seen many, many, uh, um, you know, aurora borealis, we call it, northern lights. But that magnetic shield, it goes out... 40, get this now, 40,000 miles away from Earth. So that what's happening is, as the rays of the electron, as the rays come towards us, 
and the electromagnetic field, as they hit, it sparks. And that spark creates um, little teeny fusions of light. But it happens on such a multi-million points of, of hitting that it creates all these flashes of the northern lights. Now, I've got to show you this. Um, the Bible tells us this. The heavens, let me see if I can get it. The heavens declare the glory of God. Is there an amen in the house? The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Isn't that incredible? So I'll show you something that you and I will probably never see with our real eyes. Unless you and I are in a space station. Because the northern lights from space is a crown around the earth. Isn't that incredible? You can't convince me this has any tie to something called evolution. This is the hand of Almighty God, the very one who died on a cross for you and me. Isn't that incredible? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, what does the Bible tell us? What's our story? We jumped into time. We're trying to understand our purpose in life. What's our story? Well, our story starts off in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it tells the story. On the first day, he creates light, the very presence of God. Then the Bible tells us in the next second day, says that, that he creates the waters above and the waters below. And I tell the kids, did you know that you're in water right now? And they said, what? I said, oh, yes, you could almost feel it. You know, if, if there was no moisture right now, oh, it would not be comfortable for us. The waters above and the ferments above and the, the waters below. And then the third thing God did on the third day of Genesis 1, 9 through 13 is he creates all this land and vegetation and trees and um, the flowers and all this beauty. And so you have light, you have the, the, the air that's just perfectly formulated for life on earth. Of course, you've got oxygen, nitrogen, all the perfect formulation, you know, the air, the very air we're breathing, we ought not take for granted. This is the creation of God for our breath. And by the way, go to 14,000 feet and you'll miss it. And then on the fourth day, the Bible says that he creates sun, moon, and stars. And I always liken this like, if you look at the first day, he creates light. And then on the fourth day, it's almost like the first three days are like canvases. And then the fourth day, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then on the, the fifth day, he goes to the waters above and waters below, and he creates the birds above and the sea creatures below. That's what the Bible says. This is our timetable. This is our beginning point. We understand where we come from. And finally, for land and vegetation, he speaks to the land. The Bible says and the animals and the humans are created. And of course, the creation of the humans is different than any of the other creation. For God 
gets down and he, he fashions man. He, he, he puts his hands in the mud and he fashions man. And then the Bible says that he, God, bends down and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And man becomes a living soul. Those beautiful six days of creation. We know where we came from. We know we belong. We know our value. The God of creation has designed every one of us. And even though the enemy tries to tear down and, and make people a shadow of what they were supposed to be. Or maybe drug abuse has, has maligned their character or their personality. God knows what they could be. And that's why we always want to lift people up to Jesus because Jesus is big enough, strong enough, and capable enough to change no matter what the enemy has done to somebody into the beautiful child of God that they were meant to be. So then we go with this beautiful story of the six days of creation. And here I just wanted to point out that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. For me, when I think of Jesus on the cross, when I think of Jesus walking the streets of Galilee, when I think of Jesus walking on the water, when I think of Jesus healing a child or raising a dead, listen, I want to think of that same Jesus there in the garden creating all these things for his children. The Bible doesn't stop there, though, because, you know, if you were to go back and say, well, where does, where does you know, if, if I was not a Christian, if I was not a believer, and I said, where does a day come from, the unbeliever would say what the believer says, well, the day comes from the, you know, the, 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 the we call it the setting of the sun, but it's really the, the earth spinning, and so we, we know it one day, and then it's the next day. We know that, and, and if someone says, well, okay, that's a day, but where does a month come from? Well, we know month, we use the word moon, month, and that's where the full moon, once a month, it's been many moons since I've seen you, many months. And we wonder, well, where does a year come from? And we know where a year comes from. It takes the earth one year to rotate, right? All the way around. One year to go all the way around the sun. But where does a week come from? You know, I've done some study on this and looked into uh, some of the ancient, right? The Chinese ancient, Babylonian ancient, Egyptian ancient. All they say all they say is they had a week. You, you can't find it in any book where it comes from except the Bible. The Bible tells us that God at the beginning created a seven-day structure, which we call a week. And by the way, Napoleon tried to change it to 10 days. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Napoleon tried to change it to 10 days. Didn't work too well. And within a very short order, he went right back to a seven-day week. There's something about the seven-day week. So God created a seven-day week. And the Bible says that God designed a blessing for us. Oh, the blessing was in the beautiful vegetation, the beautiful birds, the animals. The blessing was in the beautiful fresh air and the gorgeous waterfalls. The blessing was all around for Adam and Eve. But there was one more gift God wanted to give them. And so the Bible says in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, the blessing. The Bible says, and let's look at um, 
If you have your Bible in your pew, I don't know if there's a pew right there, there we go, and you look at Genesis chapter 2, the Bible makes a very specific reference here to that seventh day of creation. The Bible says, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Were finished. That reminds me of another text in John where Jesus dies and he cries out on the cross, it is finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Now, Adam and Eve are alive. Adam and Eve get to watch it happen. They're alive. They're with God. They hear God. And here's what they hear. God says, then he blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it, which is setting it apart, because on it he rested from all the work which he had done, created and made. The, uh, some versions will say, and he made it holy. Because that's what, you know, only God can make something holy. The last time I figure, that's the only way anything can be made holy. Remember Moses and the burning bush? And God said, you need to remove your sandals, Moses. Why, God? Because the place you're standing is what? Holy ground. What made it holy? The presence of God. So God says, I'm going to do something on this day, and I'm going to make it holy. I'm going to sanctify it. Now, Adam and Eve are looking around saying, huh, the wind's blowing the same. The sun shines the same. Everything looks the same. It looks the same as, but it's different. And it's different because the word of God has spoken. The word of God has spoken. And like Adam and Eve, we're in the exact same boat as them. We have to just believe it by faith. The Sabbath, which is recorded throughout the scriptures, is not any different day than any other day, except by the word of God. It's the only thing that makes it different. I've had people ask me, what's the big deal about the Sabbath? I don't know, but God said it, and I believe it. Is the Sabbath, you know, God could have given us a temple there in the, a good, given us a temple there in the Garden of Eden, and then we would have been like Mecca and always bouncing to that temple, right? Or God get, could have given us a, a celestial body, but what would have we have done? We'd have worshiped the body. But what God said is, I want to give you time with me. I'm going to make that time sacred. I'm going to let you develop your relationship with me in that time. So that you and I can grow together in a relationship. And that time, by the way, is not for you to play with because it's my time and it's sacred. I don't understand it. Doesn't totally make sense to me either. But if God says it and it seems pretty clear, he says it right there, then I want to believe it. So here's what it says there. The Sabbath reminds me and it reminds us that we are his creation. Every week, Every Sabbath that comes along reminds me that I am created by the king of the universe. I am not a mistake. 
I did not just evolve from some slush in the mud. I am a fabricated, intelligent human being because God created me. Number two, Sabbath causes us to rest in His completed work. I've heard people say, oh, the Sabbath is nothing but works for you. It's the very opposite. The Sabbath is a a rest from our labors. And you know, it's interesting. When Jesus died on the cross, last time I checked, what day did he die? On a Friday. And he resurrected on a, Bible says, first day of the week, Sunday. So what day did Jesus rest in the tomb? On Sabbath, right after he said, it is finished. And Sabbath invites us to his holy time that, the spo- that he spoke into, crea- into creation. A lot of times people look at Seventh-day Adventists and they say, oh, you guys are all about the law. Well, let me tell you something, I'm all about Jesus. Because the law will, can never save us, but Jesus and him alone can But you know, when God wrote something down with his own finger, it's the only part of the Bible he ever wrote with his own finger. And we call it the Ten Commandments, and the Christian community, uh, you know, they're they're all upset because the world has taken the Ten Commandments out of the schools and taken the Ten Commandments out of the halls of justice. And I oftentimes wonder, why why is the Christian community even concerned with that? Because when you talk to them, then all of a sudden, and you mention the Sabbath, they say, oh, the law is what? Done away with. The fact of the matter is, That what God wrote on those ten commandments is value to each one of us. I look at it like a road with gates, uh, guardrails, and it's a guardrail of happiness and peace. And so most Christians will look at one through ten and say they make complete sense. But the one they often forget is the only one that starts with... Remember the Sabbath day. This is God writing. Why did he say remember? No, possibly, but because he told us at Genesis chapter 3. Remember what I did on the seventh day of creation. Remember what is the memorial of my creation. The Sabbath, remember it. And one of the things I've concluded in my life is that the Sabbath is a relationship. And some people say, well, what can I do on the Sabbath? What can I not do on the Sabbath? I said, well, hey, you do whatever builds your relationship with Jesus. Whatever it is, you do it. And that's all I care about saying. Because I know our God is big enough to lead us into a relationship. Amen? Amen. That's a beautiful thing. And so... The Bible says, though, at the end of that commandment, verse 11, straight from Genesis chapter 2, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Friends, we don't worship the Sabbath. We worship the Lord of the Sabbath. And one of the things that is really kind of fearful when it comes to humans is anytime 
God touches something or, or God does something to something, we like to elevate it. I mean, if you get a, uh, someone who has the gift of healing and they, they can heal someone and, and God is healing through them, all of a sudden we want to elevate that person. If, if um, even like over in Israel, you know, there, there's places where, hey, did you, did you want to buy this? It's a piece of the cross or it's a piece of cloth that Christ touched. They want to elevate it. And dear friends, we're not, we don't want to elevate anything human. We don't want to elevate anything human. We want to elevate Jesus Christ. But he spoke something into the seventh day that gives us an opportunity to reflect on his holiness and his finished work into our life. This I know. Number one, God is the creator. Through and through, I know that. All things were created through Jesus Christ. Time and time again throughout the Bible, it is clear that is the biblical fact. And everything God did was for our blessing and our ability to thrive in this life with him. Amen.